Well, if you've got that open, keep it open in front of you, Luke 10. Let's pray as we just come to look at this together. And Lord, we thank you for this amazing uh, parable, this story that Jesus told all those years ago, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's so familiar to us in lots of ways. We know about the Samaritans, uh, the charity that is set up to help people who are named after this story. Um, And we talk about people being a Good Samaritan. But Lord, we pray that you'd help us to feel the force of this story in the way that the people who first heard it did. And you'd help us to be changed by it. Help us to become like that man. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I wonder what um, you would say is the one thing you would wish for Maddie as she grows up. Where is she? There she is. What would you wish for her? What sort of person would you hope and pray she would become? What characteristics do you hope would develop in her life? What sort of qualities would you want her to be marked by so that as she grows up, people would say, oh, Maddie, she's so what? What would you want to fill in that blank? I mean, you obviously want it to be a positive thing. You don't want someone to say, oh, Maddie, she's so mean or so selfish. We don't want anything negative. We want a positive characteristic. What would you fill in that blank? She's so what? Come to think of it, what what would we want for ourselves? I mean, obviously, as we look at Maddie, she's got a whole life ahead of her. But we've got the whole of our lives ahead of us, haven't we? However long we've got to go at the time allotted to us, in the time that we've got remaining, what sort of person would we increasingly hope we would become? Well, that was a question that Jesus was often asked. He was often asked, he was asked it in this way, what is the most important commandment? What does God want for us? What's the most important commandment? He was always being asked this, and Jesus always replied the same way. He said there's one word, really, that sums up the most important thing, and that is, it's an obvious answer, really, but it's love. How does Jesus want us to live? Love is the great commandment. Jesus says we need vertical love and horizontal love. Love for God and love for each other. He says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what Jesus always said. And obviously that was a well-known bit of his teaching because the context for the story that we've just heard, the guy comes and asks him, verse 25, he says, look, Jesus, what have I got to do? Verse 26, Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? And he says, he trots out the famous answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right, get on with it then. But, verse 29, he's a lawyer, did you notice, verse 25? He's trying, to, he's trying to get down into the specifics. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself. So he says, but who is my neighbour? Because actually, the culture of the time, there was a tradition amongst the Jewish teaching which was saying that actually, yes, we're to love our neighbour, but our neighbours are just our fellow, you know, our countrymen, our family. You know, we couldn't possibly love everybody, you know, so we're only expected to actually love the people who are close to us. So he wanted to sort of test Jesus, what does he make of this? And that's the context for Jesus, his famous story. It's one of the most famous stories that's ever been told. It's one of the best stories that ever been told that tells us what true love really looks like. Who is my neighbour? Well, Jesus tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan. He sets up the scenario. He says, verse 30, look, there's a man, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. The robbers strip him, they beat him up, and they abandon him, leaving him to die. And what happens? Three people walk past. That's how parables work. It's often in threes, a bit like a joke. You know, one person does this, one person does that, and the third person, and that's the punchline. Well, the first two people who come along, 
The twist is you expect them to stop and help. You would expect the, the first people to stop and help. Verse 31, the first person who comes along is a priest. Now, <laughs> I'm a priest, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, Jesus, you're not painting us in a particularly good light here, priests. Here he, here he is, he's supposed to do the right thing, he's a religious person. Surely he's going to stop and help this guy, but no, he doesn't. He crosses by on the other side of the road. And Jesus is making a point, it's possible to be very religious, but that to be a dead religion. And it hasn't actually affected our hearts and changed the way that we live. So, ooh, that smarts a bit if you're a religious person, which a lot of the people who Jesus was speaking to were. In fact, the person who originally asked the question was an expert in religious law. So that, that hurt a bit, this first person going past. Second person who goes past, again, verse 32, a Levite. Now, the Levite, so he would have been a lawyer. So where it says Levite, imagine it's a judge walking past or something. And you think, well... A judge ought to do the right thing. He's passionate about justice. Surely he should care for this guy. You know, he's a respectable figure of society, but no, he does exactly the same thing. He walks past on the other side of the road. And if the priests were all there, licking their wounds a bit from the first guy, Jesus is telling the story, not going their way. Well, now, remember, the guy who's asking the question is a lawyer. So that's one in the eye for him, isn't he? He's a lawyer asking the question. And Jesus said, well, you lawyers, you might care all about justice. But again, he hasn't done the right thing. But the twist is, the third person... Um, well, no, actually, before we get to that, why don't they stop? A couple of reasons, maybe, why didn't they stop. One, Jewish law said that if you come into contact with a dead body, that makes you unclean. So maybe they thought, oh, this guy's dead. I don't want to defile myself. I'll just better not get too close. But another reason is maybe they thought that actually it would be risky to stop to help because the, the, road, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a risky, dangerous stretch of road. It was known to be, in fact, it was called the Way of Blood. It's a bit like going into the wrong part of town at night. You just didn't, it was unsafe. Martin Luther King, he famously, the day before Martin Luther King was assassinated, he gave this famous speech, the mountaintop speech. And in it, he spoke about the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said this. He said, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt the man on the ground was merely faking. He was acting like he'd been robbed and hurt in order to seize them, to lure them over there for a trap. So the first question that the priest asked and that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man... What will happen to me? And that's the challenge, isn't it? Because love is costly. Why aren't we often as loving as we ought to be? To be honest, it's probably because most of the time we're actually saying, how is it going to impact me? Because most of the time we're actually looking out for number one, aren't we? And love involves rolling our sleeves up and getting our hands dirty. Well, the third person who comes along is the exact person you think would do just that. Why? Because verse 33, he was a Samaritan, he was from Samaria. Now the Jews, remember Jesus was a Jew, the people he was speaking to were Jews. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They actually, I mean, it was, there was racial prejudice. It's a bit like, you know, if they're telling the story, they said it was the guy from Trowbridge who stopped. And we all go, oh, I flippin' hate people from Trowbridge. We don't really hate people from Trowbridge. But imagine we, there was a hatred of the, of the area. And, he, and it's a Samaritan. You can imagine the people in the room, the tension just got a bit more thick. He says, a Samaritan walked past, and everyone goes, ooh. 
you know, it's a sharp intake of breath. What's the Samaritan going to do? He's definitely going to walk past. He'd probably go over and finish him off on the way past. But lift him up onto his donkey and then he had to walk. It cost him time because his delay of his journey took longer than planned. He had to stay with him overnight. And it cost him, well, it cost him real money. Verse 35, it says he paid two silver coins. It says those coins are denarius. Now, a denarius was worth about a day's wages. I don't know how much your wages, how much your daily rate is. Two days wages this guy paid and he was prepared to pay more. Love is costly. Well, how are we supposed to respond to this story? It's such a provocative message. There are really only a couple of ways to respond. The first is to react a bit like the lawyer. You can imagine how the guy asking the question feels. You know, he's thinking, thanks a lot, Jesus. You've just insulted all the religious leaders and all the lawyers here. You've made us the baddies and you've made the guy we hate, the Samaritan, the hero of the story. He's probably going away smarting a little bit, isn't it? Look at the way he can't even bring himself to say Samaritan at the end of the story. Jesus says, verse 36, which of these was a neighbour? The expert in the law replied, verse 37, the one who had mercy on him. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. And maybe that's us this morning. Maybe we sort of, we look at Christianity and we think, oh, it's too high a bar. It's just a set of rules. It's got nothing to do with me. I don't want anything to do with it. And I'm going to go away thinking this is too much for me. But the other reaction is, imagine how the guy in the story feels. Imagine, the guy, imagine being the guy who's on the receiving end of this incredibly costly love. You know, his life would never be the same again. He surely's never going to walk past someone else who's in need, is he? He's surely going to want to do the same for other people. Having been the recipient of such love, he's going to want to display that love and generosity to others. And so I don't know what your reaction is this morning. Jesus raises the bar so high of what a life of love looks like. To many people, they just think, oh, this is unrealistic. It's a set of rules, and I've got to do this. The guy asked the question right at the beginning, verse 25, what must I do? And Jesus says, well, look, this is what you've got to do. And maybe he walked away. Maybe that's you this morning. You think, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk away. But the wonderful truth of the gospel is that if you read all the way to the end of it, and if you've never read the gospel, let me encourage you this morning, go home and read it. We're, this is Luke's gospel. Take you about an hour or a couple of hours to read Luke's gospel. If you've never read the Bible before, I mean, it's the world's best-selling book for a reason. It might just be the best thing you ever do. If you read all the way to the end of the story, you realise that there is somebody who has already done this for us. You realise that Jesus is, in fact, the true Good Samaritan. That spiritually speaking, all of us have been beaten up, stripped naked and left as good as dead. In a moment, um, Becky and Gar are going to promise to repent of the sins which separate us from God and neighbour. Now, sin separates us from God. We all are sinners and we all are spiritually dead. And yet, Jesus Christ, the true good Samaritan, the one who was despised and rejected who rode in on another donkey, stooped down to pick up each one of us. He's the one who bandaged up our wounds, who gave us a room, not in a nearby inn, but in the eternal mansions of the kingdom of heaven, where he's prepared a place for us, if we'll let him, which he's paid for, not with silver coins, 
but his own precious blood. And if you understand that, then your life will never be the same. You'll be able to do, as Jesus says at the end of this encounter, verse 37, go and do likewise. So how's Maddie going to grow up to be somebody who lives a life of love? A life marked by God, love for God and love for neighbour, by vertical love, by horizontal love, only by comprehending how costly for her is the love of Jesus Christ. So these promises, (coughs) which parents and godparents, and which all of us are about to make in a moment, promises to pray for her, promises to draw her into the life and the worship of the church, promise to demonstrate for her the example of the love of Jesus Christ. They could not be more precious because that's what's going to transform her life. That's what's going to help her and each of us to grow into the kind of person who looks like this.